you know, to fully understand what Jesus means in our gospel today, we need to know the backstory as refers to the serpent that Moses lifted up in the desert. The book of Numbers, during their long, in the book of Numbers, during their long desert wanderings, Israel lost patience with God and they complained against him. Why did you bring us out here to Egypt, out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? God was not amused proving his devotion again and again, but they still doubted him. His wrath flared up, and he responded by sending venomous snakes among the people. Sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? Several sojourners were bitten and died. Acknowledging their sin, they asked Moses to intercede with God on their behalf. God then told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a staff, and everyone who was bitten was instructed to look at it and would be saved. Going back to the fall of Adam and Eve, snakes have always been an ominous symbol of evil. I've never been a fan of snakes. Several years ago, I knew a cloistered poor Claire nun who lived in the Southwest, who walked out of their chapel early in the morning on a wintry day, and she was wearing her long brown habit, and as she walked, she heard the rattle of a snake under her habit. A snake had been sunning itself on the sidewalk until sister stepped on it. Yikes. As a side note, I asked her exactly, exactly what she said, hoping to hear maybe a few cuss words that would give me some sort of redemption in my life, but in her holiness, all she said was, oh my, I've been bitten. That's it, I said. There's no way am I going to make it to heaven with that kind of a standard, but I digress. The fact that snakes slither silently on the ground and that many of them have deadly poisonous bites make them potent symbols of evil. It seems odd, then, that the serpent, when it was lifted up, should bring salvation. But the idea is the very thing which brought about Death should, after the intervention of God, bring about salvation. It's kind of like a vaccine, if you will. Interestingly, bishops in the Orthodox and the Eastern Catholic churches don't carry croziers in the form of a shepherd's crook like our bishops in the Catholic Church. They carry the staff of Moses with an ominous bronze serpent on the top. And our bishops carry the crook crook, to, uh, to highlight their pastoral role in caring for the sheep. The Eastern Rite bishops carry the staff as Mo- of Moses as a powerful sign of salvation. Of course, the opening statement, the Son of Man must be lifted up, points directly to Jesus' death on the cross. The cross, that symbol of a dreadful death in Jesus' time, was to become the greatest possible symbol of life and of salvation. And so each week when we come to Mass, we ponder and gaze upon a form of really capital punishment from Jesus' day. And yet to the cross, just like the serpent that was raised in the air, we find life. The cross is the symbol of our salvation and the study of opposites. In it, We see death, the direct result of sin. Sin brings death. We know that deep in our hearts, 
but we are strangely attracted to sin. And in the cross, we see human cruelty at its worst, but we also see pure innocence in the person of Jesus Christ being offered to God for our sins. In him, we see everything that we want to be, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his kindness. The lifting up of the cross to display him to the rude and mocking crowd, in fact, also lifts him up to the Father. And the raising of Jesus on the cross transformed it into its opposite, from humiliation to exaltation. So in the cross we see death and we see life. We see the last breaths of the suffering Jesus and the first breaths of the risen Lord. And in the cross we see the climactic moment of human history. We are to be able to look at the cross and see our salvation. We are able to look at the cross and unite ourselves with Christ and experience the power of his love. This is why the crucifix should be prominently displayed in Catholic homes, in your homes. Every bedroom should have a crucifix. It is the symbol that reminds us of what life is about and about the greatest form of love. Nicodemus was a leading Jew and a Pharisee who came to see Jesus by night. He was a scholar. Even the Lord calls him a teacher. Jesus goes to some lengths to explain his mission to Nicodemus. And just before today's gospel, he tells him about the need for man to be born again and to start anew. Nicodemus comes by night, though, and Jesus' final words to him are, the man who lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may plainly be seen that what he does is done in God. It's a powerful exchange for Nicodemus, who came to see Jesus under the cover of night. In other words, he privately believed in Jesus, but he wasn't going to be a public fanatic about things. Sharing the good news with others was altogether a different thing. For if this connection with Jesus was made public, it would cost, just like it would cost many today. He would lose position, power, esteem, and friendship. But Jesus tells him that he must live in the light, declaring his love for God in Jesus himself. We all have a little Nicodemus in us. It's okay here in church on Sunday morning. We're all Catholics. We're safe. But what about elsewhere, at work, at school, at dinner? Seems more than ever in the political circles, and the polite circles rather, we are being forced to keep our faith and the beliefs that stem from it safely out of sight, safely in the darkness. Places like and, and, uh, Hollywood and other pagan places send out their prophets with far greater effect today. Like Nicodemus, our passion for Jesus often deepens in time when we are faithful to him. And interestingly, Nicodemus isn't yet ready, but he moves slowly and steadily to who God calls him to be. The next time he makes an appearance, it is during a controversy about Jesus in the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus speaks up for Jesus when he says, Surely the law does not allow us to pass judgment on a man without giving him a hearing 
and discovering what he is about. But he goes back into hiding when he's asked, are you a Galilean too? But he goes on believing in Jesus and appears in John's gospel after the crucifixion. He brings about a hundred pounds of spices and together with Joseph of Arimathea, wrap the body of Jesus with those spices in a linen cloth. Further evidence of his growing faith. Our faith too may sometimes be a bit covert and under the cover of night. We might want to be discreet to remain politically correct in our divisive age. But Jesus challenges us that a hidden faith is not faith at all. And his words are spoken to us. The man who lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he does is done in God.